0: Everyone, I'm Mike Ward and welcome to Conversations in Healthcare, a video series brought to you by DRG and Clarivate. This episode is one of a number that we're recording alongside on Helix, a digital conference that has been hosted by OneNucleus. I'm in line with this. I'm delighted to be joined by Eric Lenko, uh, who's going to offer insights from a different perspective from some of the other um, calls that we've had. Uh, Eric is the Chief Innovation Officer of PureTech, uh, a clinical stage biotech with a broad and deep uh, pipeline that's uh, developed both either internally or through uh, founded entities. Uh, PureTech is headquartered in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, It's listed on the London Stock Exchange and has a market capitalization of approximately £700 million. So, Eric, uh, i yeah, thank you for joining me. I hope you and those you care about are, are are keeping
1: safe and well. Uh, and as I say, thank you very much for for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, really appreciate the opportunity to have uh, this conversation. So great. So, um, as I
0: mentioned in my introduction, uh, PureTech is it's an interesting uh, business model um, that involves having its own internal programs. Uh, as well as developing others through, as you describe them, founded entities. Could you explain uh, you know, why you have chosen this,
1: this two-pronged approach? Yeah, historically, and this is when we first started PureTech, uh, what we would do is we would start with a problem. Uh, it would be an unmet need. Uh, And then proactively look around the world for a potential solution to that problem. Uh, And then we would go and bring the relevant technology and intellectual property into a new company, which we would form, manage ourselves initially, and fund ourselves. Uh, And these are what we call our founded entities. And then as uh, these would uh, mature, we would bring in outside capital from other, uh, you know, Financial investors uh, were strategic partners as well as uh, dedicated management teams, and they would become increasingly independent Now uh, a shift for us more recently is we've also started an internal pipeline So these are programs which are entirely owned by ourselves uh, meaning while we might do partnerships with larger companies involving non dilutive funding uh, we're not taking any dilutive funding. They're 100% owned by us. Uh, and, you know, in contrast to the founded entities where those will have uh, outside capital coming in. And by having our own internal pipeline, it allows us to capture more of the upside of those programs. And uh, it also allows us to achieve synergies uh, because that pipeline is really focused uh, Largely on the lymphatic system and the immune space. Right. So, um, so
0: this asset centric approach, which you know the people are, are taking, um, how how do you choose? You know, how do you decide which ones are going to be earmarked for found identities, and and how do you earmark those that are actually going to be something that you are going to uh, pursue
1: yourselves? Yeah, so the model for both in terms of how we identify those uh, assets uh, and the programs and the starting points for solving a problem are the same in that starting with non need, proactively looking for a solution, really having an insight um, to that solution that others don't have. Uh, right now, the default uh, for our programs actually is to keep them internally, knowing that we always have the optionality. Uh, to pursue um, other paths with them. Uh, and the focus, the internal pipeline, is around uh, lymphatics uh, and uh, the immune system. Uh, and so it's a little bit more focused uh, in that sense. Uh, and more generally, uh, we've been involved in uh, the brain, the immune system, and the gut uh, representing the greater GI system or brain immune gut uh, that includes uh, both the treatment of uh, pathologies for those three systems as well as the intersection of those three systems uh, in terms of disease.
0: Okay so, so we'll come on to you know that BIG uh, axis but um, with the with the founded entities you know the, the, these affiliates that, that you have how involved uh, is PureTech once you have parked an asset in, in one of these um, entities?
1: Yeah, With the fanned entities, these are all companies we created ourselves. And this is really an important distinction that you're raising is uh, we're not investors. We were never a venture capital firm. These were all created entirely from scratch uh, by PureTech using this problem-centric approach. And then initially, uh, we actually uh, would run uh, these founded entities ourselves, uh, and so be quite involved. And then, uh, really, one of the keys for us was uh, trying to go and say, what is it that would make us really believe, or what would make us wanna say, no, this isn't a good idea, and try and do those experiments as quickly as possible. Um, And then as these companies would go and mature, at that point, we would bring in outside management, outside capital. And over time, uh, we'll become less involved. So our involvement uh, will reflect the degree of maturity of the company. For instance, in the case of a more advanced public company, uh, we may not even be on the board versus uh, a company really early on in its life uh, cycle, Will be heavily involved uh, in that company
0: okay so so you you start off where you almost like own everything and as you progress you bring in uh, <clears throat> uh other investors or you, you bring in investors and you're sort of diluting your own holding holding in the business so could you uh, sort of just give, give us an example of say for example one of these founded entities what its
1: evolution looked like? Absolutely, so uh, an example would be uh, Karuna uh, Therapeutics, Uh, and there uh, we were very interested in schizophrenia, that's a devastating disease, uh, effects, you know, you can go anywhere in the world and you'll see uh, anywhere estimates of half a percent to as much as uh, 1% of the population, Uh, really huge impact on patients. And if you look at uh, currently used drugs, um, antipsychotics, they all have the same basic uh, pharmacological uh, mechanism of action. Uh, And we saw this as an area of great unmet need. Uh, And what we did is we got together uh, leading experts, brainstormed and said, if we could do anything in this space, what would it be? What has the greatest promise uh, and that led us to identify um, the uh, particular part of the brain called muscarinic receptors. And in particular, a drug that had been developed uh, by Eli Lilly called Sonomaline, uh, which looked quite promising. And in the case of Sonomaline, it had encountered some tolerability issues. And what PureTech did is, knowing that um, this was uh, a good approach and there was just tremendous excitement around it, came up with an idea for how to overcome those tolerability issues, uh, which was to pair it uh, with another drug. Zoonomaline so, you know, had never been developed, but uh, we had the idea of pairing it with uh, what was an improved drug, uh, and then to take that uh, forward and calling that uh, CAR-XT. Uh, Car um, and then uh, drove that forward uh, through a uh, proof of concept um, trial on healthy volunteers showing the increase in tolerability uh, and additional outside investors came into that. um, That ended up doing uh, an IPO, um, had a phase two uh, readout um, that looks quite promising. Uh, And uh, this is very exciting because what we're looking at is really uh, a truly new approach to this devastating disease um, where there's been such a lack of progress uh, in decades. Uh, so it's an example where um, we started with a problem, identified a potential solution. Uh, in the case of Nomelin, we went and proactively went and licensed that. Um, you know, uh, Lily well, wasn't looking to have license it. We went and licensed that, brought it in, created new intellectual property, and then drove it forward. And so um, I think that shows both how something can mature from uh, literally starting from an idea on paper to a public company with phase two data and would only exist um, because we started with a problem rather than just starting with the raw technology.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. You describe your approach as a problem centric uh, approach where you you identify the unmet medical need your talk title is <clears throat> chief innovation officer and there is <clears throat> clearly a journey from having you know, one identify the problem then having sort of you know an inventive step or, or a discovery to actually translating that into an, an innovation can mm. you sort of you know, t- t- tell
1: us you know how you go about sort of that particular transformation yeah, absolutely. So I, I really break it down into two parts. So whenever we're looking at a potential solution to a problem, uh, the first thing we do, you know, we, we look at, and when we do on these exercises, we go through a lot. Um, but for the things that rise to the top, they'll look promising um, and including uh, for even areas where we might uh, identify a potential solution. And then we're actually inventors and, have our own intellectual property contribution, um, what first thing we'll say is what are we most skeptical of? Uh, Why do we think this won't work? What experiment could we do that'll actually kill this? And really the goal is to say, how do we in the shortest amount of time with the smallest amount of money, de-risk something uh, and particularly the points where we're most skeptical? And then once we do that, um, then we can feel comfortable to make larger capital expenditures to move something forward. When we do move something forward and do go look at translation, um, it's very case by case in terms of um, the best way to move it forward. Sometimes that will require work in our own laboratories. Uh, We do, in fact, have our uh, own laboratories A lot of times this will be uh, outsourced um, through contract research um, or it will require some type of clinical trial. Uh, But in each case, the approach really is saying we're at point A. In terms of development path, what's point B that will really add value and further de-risk that asset? And what's the most efficient path? to make that happen, whether it's through physical research uh, or a more virtual uh, outsourced approach. Yeah. So
0: when you're sort of <clears throat> looking to source these, these inventions or these discoveries, yeah, what, what does that process look like? I mean, are you <clears throat> looking at academic labs? Are you, is, it, is it research papers you're looking at? Is it patents that people may have already
1: filed? Yeah, so what what we found is, uh, when we take this problem-centric approach, and that problem can be, how do we solve a particular disease uh, where we come up with a new therapeutic for a particular disease where there's been a lack of innovation, there's an area of great emerging science. Um, We have found that um, the first step in that process tends to be getting together an interdisciplinary group of experts uh, and uh, really brainstorming with them. And so there is an element of more traditional search in terms of looking at the literature, looking what's out there. But what we found is if you get the right group of people around the table and you get them brainstorming, uh, it's the uh, experts who really understand not only what, exists in the field but also uh, perhaps what hasn't been published yet. Um, They'll be able to identify hey here are the rising stars go talk to them and from those uh, brainstorming sessions from those discussions really we get uh, boundaries for a solution set to define what we're looking for and then we'll proactively go around the world uh, looking. A lot of times that does come from academic labs or the insights come from academic labs. Uh, But then other times uh, we've taken things uh, from industry. So uh, Karuna being an example. Um, um, More recently in our internal pipeline, uh, our LYT-100 program, our deuterate uh, Profenidone program, uh, that was a combination where we had insight um, from uh, academia. um, And then we also uh, knew about uh, a compound uh, and put two or two together and ended up um, acquiring that compound. So it's more about what's the best solution, and that can come from academia, it can come from industry, uh, it can be a combination.
0: Right. I mean, one of the interesting things about PureTech is that you've got you know a pretty impressive board and R&D committee. I mean, it's got you know former Sanofi uh, CEO, uh, Christopher Vivacca. It's got uh, John Lamatina, who you know, headed up um, research at uh, Pfizer, um, the MIT, you know Bob Langer, who's probably, you know, arguably one of the most creative or uh, productive uh, academic scientists when it comes to sort of the medical field, and of course, you know, Rob Horvitz, who's uh, a Nobel Prize winner. I mean, it's an impressive list. <clears throat> are these the kind of people that <clears throat> you you have in your brainstorming sessions? I mean, I just wonder how active they are
1: in your process? Yeah, they're, they're definitely uh, very active uh, and really uh, on a couple of different levels. And, and you're right, it's an amazing group that really covers off a number of areas of drug development from research to development on the clinical side to the commercial side. And having all of those perspectives are just incredibly valuable. Uh, and having those voices in the room are amazingly helpful. Uh, And their involvement uh, spans from everything from uh, participating in uh, these brainstormings, being on the boards for our founded entities, uh, but perhaps most importantly, um, at a board level, being involved in the pure tech strategy and also uh, being heavily involved in greenlighting any decisions about, you know, let's go into this area. Let's go forward with this program. uh, Let's really take something uh, seriously uh, and their perspective and experience is something um, really that there's, uh, you know, you, you never have a substitute for experience, I think, when it comes to drug development and commercialization. Um, and uh, we take it very seriously and they're very involved. Right.
0: So um, you mentioned, right, okay, so <clears throat> it's a problem-centric approach. Um, you, you identify in a medical need, <clears throat> you're then looking for, uh, you know, potential solutions. You know, does that mean that <clears throat> the world's your oyster or, or is there you know, a sweet spot that you know, you're, you're, you're looking for, whether it's either something that you sort of develop yourselves or through one of your founded uh, entities?
1: Yeah. So with regards to geography, we're really agnostic. Um, we've really been involved in taking in technologies from all around the world, all over the U.S., Uh, Europe, uh, Australia, Japan, Um, so it really comes down to what's the best solution for the problem. And uh, is that solution something uh, to earlier question, which is a really important one. uh, Can we drive it forward in a meaningful, actionable way that will actually produce um, something that's going to get into the hands of patients and help patients. And, you know, in in terms of areas of focus, uh, we do have this brain immune gut focus historically. Uh, We're particularly interested right now in the lymphatic system, uh, which we think is an area of great potential uh, in terms of both harnessing the lymphatic system in the context of creating therapeutics, as well as treating dysfunction of the lymphatic system where there's just been a lack of innovation. so we definitely have a focus um, and uh, we tend to drill down very deep when we go and undertake one of these problem-solving exercises.
0: Yeah. So, so you mentioned yeah, about the, the BIG access, this you know, brain immune gut <coughs> access. Um, for the past 10 years, we've seen a sort of a, a massive upsurge in the number of publications around sort of the microbiome, et cetera. Um, and I'm just you know, wondering, you know, how long is it going to take for that academic, that scientific uh, surge to actually be translated into
1: your know, products that are, are, are going to be transformative for patients? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right, what you've seen over the last several years is tremendous interest in the microbiome The potential of the microbiome uh, coming out of academia, insights in terms of how the microbiome uh, can be tied to both normal physiology as well as dysfunction and disease um, when, for instance, microbes are missing, uh, that should be there. And uh, I think right now we are seeing uh, this important transition of going from academic insight to creation of actual drugs. So, one of our FAMS entities is called Vedanta. Uh, Vedanta uh, is, uh, we would argue, uh, the leading uh, company in the microbiome space, um, actually has uh, drug candidates uh, that are in the clinic. Uh, These represent defined consortium of live biological therapeutics, uh, which are rationally designed and selected in a, a very deliberate manner. Uh, And these are uh, starting to undergo clinical testing right now. Uh, And there are a number of different indications, uh, reoccurring C. difficile uh, use in uh, oncology in the context of immuno-oncology, food allergy. So we're really at the point where the academic science is now starting to be translated into uh, making of actual drug candidates. And the key, of course, is going to be Uh, how those candidates go and meet out in the clinic. So as we get uh, increasing momentum and uh, positive data, uh, you know, which is what we hope for, of course, one has to do the clinical experiment, uh, that's going to end up uh, likely driving a lot of the microbiome field now is um, success and empirical evidence in the clinic. Um, And uh, that really then will start to unleash, I think, the potential of uh, the whole microbiome field, um, so uh, we 're really at the point where those clinical trials are starting, and uh, we'll uh, be reading out uh, in the not too distant future so thinking about your, your your business model,
0: where you know, 've identified a problem you 're working on some solutions, etc, is there scope if, if I was a sort of you know, um, an academic running a lab and thinking you may have overlooked, you know, my, my approach is there, is there some scope for people to almost like pitch to pure text sort or of saying, actually, this is something you might be interested in because it fits in with the focus of, you know, one of the programs that, that you're running
1: or you're associated with. Yeah. You know, we're, we're always happy to have conversations with people and have discussions. Uh, Our our programs were really started um, using this proactive approach where what we found is we've been able to identify uh, the most exciting programs and innovation by um, proactively reaching out to people in the context of trying to solve a problem. Uh, But of course, we're always happy to hear about innovative science, to speak with people. Um, But we're not a venture capital firm Um, We're not investing in uh, third-party companies, um, but uh, we're, of course, always very happy to engage in scientific dialogue and then in areas of interest to see if something might be a fit. Sure, sure.
0: So um, you you mentioned uh, LYT100, which is your most advanced internal program. Um, This is that deuterated form of... uh, yeah. um Recently, um, and you have uh, decided to sort of look at that as a potential treatment for um, you know sort of respiratory complications that have been associated with or known to affect patients who actually recovered from COVID nineteen, and uh, you were obviously developing it for 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 for, for, for other areas initially. Could you sort of describe, sort of, you know, or outline the process that happened to make that decision? sort of saying, well, actually, there may be some potential here in COVID nineteen as well.
1: Yeah, it really centered around this problem based approach, where what we saw in uh, COVID nineteen uh, and is emerging from the literature is uh, the issue of uh, pulmonary complications both more acutely and then there's emerging evidence that even when someone goes past a post-acute phase, that they uh, are at risk for having respiratory issues. Uh, And those respiratory issues can reflect inflammation and also uh, the potential for fibrosis. And knowing that unmet need existed, and then knowing uh, how our uh, drug LYT-100 works and putting those two together, uh, again, speaking with experts uh, in the field, uh, of course, uh, you know, digging into the data, we really start to see a match and the potential uh, to uh, potentially help patients uh, during uh, what is a global health crisis. And, uh, you know, again, it's that putting together, uh, here's what's needed. Here's also an area that if you look at um, COVID-19, what's been impressive is the response to it in terms of a tremendous amount of people trying to help, which is fantastic. Um, But really that help uh, has uh, really uh, been focused or is being tested in things like vaccines, antivirals, acute anti-inflammatories that might help patients uh, who are particularly severe and uh, there's been much less attention focused on how do we intervene to help patients um, as they're coming out of this post-acute phase um, and are recovering to make sure that they're able to uh, function and uh, really to either uh, help prevent or uh, to help improve the pulmonary dysfunction that might follow. Um, so unmet need and knowing that we might have a way of uh, solving that for patients.
0: So, so, so when you make a decision like that, where you sort of say, like, OK, so LYT100 has potential in COVID-19 and therefore you're going to start running a program there. Does that mean that you know, something else has had to be put on the back burner? How, you know, what, what, what's happening there?
1: Uh, We actually have not had to put anything on the back burner um, or make any adjustments in terms of guiding uh, towards cash or budget. Um, We had previously planned for and announced that in addition to lymphedema, which you're absolutely right in terms of our initial focus in terms of development of uh, LYT-100 was a condition called lymphedema, um, which affects a lot of people, about a million people, uh, conservatively in the United States. Um, and really, uh, there, there's no proof of pharmacological agents to treat that. Um, you know, we had also said that we planned on conducting uh, at least one more program um, for LYT100 this year. Um, so uh, the COVID-19 uh, program slotted uh, very nicely in terms of being uh, another program uh, that we could go and explore with uh, the drug. The social distancing
0: lockdown, which has been associated with with COVID nineteen, has has impacted a lot of companies. They've had to sort of you know change their uh, the way that they do the business, or they've they've had to put the, uh, slow things down, or, or even uh, postpone uh, clinical trials. How how has the pandemic
1: you know affected sort of the day to day business at, at, at PureTech? Uh, we haven't seen any material changes. Uh, and, uh, we've been fortunate in terms of, uh, clinical trial progress. Um, and, uh, it's been really amazing actually, uh, the ability to utilize technology, right? We're using Zoom now, uh, and, uh, it's been amazing. People, uh, have just embraced it or using it. Um, and so, uh, we, we, actually haven't seen any material impact for us. Right.
0: Uh, so, as a sort of a final uh, question, you, you mentioned um, just a little while ago uh, the sort of <clears throat> the sort of the rapid and incredible response um, that the industry has had towards COVID nineteen. Um, I just wonder, you know, which sort of innovative responsive responses, responses you know, have most impressed you to, to, to date?
1: I I would say it's more the overall response uh, by scientists, by industry, the fact that people are just willing to dive in, to prioritize this, to cooperate, really it's been uh, an unprecedented response uh, around the world and uh, it's wonderful to see and uh, definitely hope that uh, multiple programs uh, succeed. Of course they're not going to all succeed Uh, But we're all hoping uh, that uh, they'll be met with success. And I think that's the spirit you see uh, in people working on COVID-19 is just this incredible desire to help patients and uh, really uh, people recognizing uh, the impact that this disease is having on uh, the lives of individuals and uh, society. And I think,
0: as you said, the response and the way that you know, companies are getting together to, to collaborate. Um, you know, there is a possibility that post-pandemic, you know, this this kind of new set of behaviors, you know, may become uh, sort of a more regular occurrence. It might actually become part, part of the industry, which
1: uh, is potentially useful uh, for, for everyone. I, 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 um, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, and I think that's, you know, when I, I talk to people in the field, that really is the... Um, attitude is, what can we do to make things better? Um, I I, I think to your point, which uh, is right, that there will be certain areas that, um, where you could see uh, some change coming out of the pandemic. One area I would uh, flag is um, use of uh, telemedicine and also uh, digital technologies. Uh, which is an area of interest uh, for uh, pure tech historically. Um, But as people have had to socially distance, uh, there's been a willingness to embrace on the medical front telehealth and then also um, alternative ways uh, of assessing health. And uh, I imagine as the pandemic recedes, uh, that uh, people having seen the value of those tools uh, will continue to embrace them. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. And in fact, some of the research that uh, we've done here at DRG you know, totally confirms that, both in terms of the behaviors that we've seen, but also the, uh, you know, the acceptance both on patients and on physicians to actually embrace uh, you know, this, this new approach for interaction between patient and, and, and doctor. So, yeah, that's, Eric, that's, that's right. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for, 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 for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, the, the insights
1: that you provided there are going to be of great interest to, 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 to the audience. Oh, thank you for the uh, conversation, all the uh, great questions. I uh, really uh, appreciate uh, the conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, so cheers.
0: Uh, so, so if you'd like to tune in to uh, future conversations, uh, follow our LinkedIn page where we'll be posting um, alerts to, to, to the future episodes. So in closing, I'd like to thank Eric again for joining us and also thank all our listeners for um, tuning in. So until next time, uh, stay safe and healthy. Uh, I'm Mike Ward and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.